Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World Podcast. The topic of this episode is the 1031 Exchange, Tax-Free Real Estate Investing. I'm Phil Pustiowski with FreedomMentor.com. I'm a full-time real estate investor, real estate mentor and coach to many of the most successful real estate investors across North America. And in this video, I'm going to introduce to you and take you in-depth into the subject of the 1031 Exchange. 1031 Exchange is a section of the United States Tax Code, you guessed it, Section 1031, uh, which describes how a real estate investor can buy a piece of real estate for intent of, of investing in that, um, and then after a couple of years, they can resell that property, and whatever gains they made, those gains are not actually taxed, they're tax deferred, if you will, and that money can be used but it must be used to buy another property. So let me try to illustrate this. It would be like you owning a house, and then you'd have to have it as a rental, and let's say you've owned it for at least two years. Um, you could sell this house. Now let's say when you bought it, let's say you bought it for $80,000. But let's say it's been two years later, and you are going to sell it for 100000 so you have a gain of 20000 Now, these days, there are several taxes that can play a role in this $20,000 gain. Uh, obviously, we have what's called capital gains tax. Capital gains tax. Uh, but you also may run into depreciation recapture if you were uh, uh, claiming depreciation on that property when you owned it. Another thing is you may have local to your state, you may have additional taxes there. And also, if you make over $250,000 a year, uh, you may run into what's called the Obamacare tax, which is an additional 3.8% uh, of whatever the gain was. So there could be some significant taxes uh, hitting your 20000 Now, maybe your whole intent in selling this was to buy another property. Maybe you wanted to go from a single family home. Maybe you wanted to go to, uh, to a duplex. I'm going to make two little, that's not what a duplex looks like, but there you go. It's got two doors, right? So you want to go from there to there. Well, with the 1031 exchange, what you can do is you can take all $20,000 and put it into here. And then what happens is uh, you didn't have to pay any tax on that $20,000 so long as this transaction here was done through a 1031 exchange intermediary. Now, uh, you can get really excited with this, this concept. All right, let's say, for example, uh, you own... Uh, four houses, and I'm going to use a, a, a monopoly analogy here because people recognize that. What you could do is you could sell those four houses into one big red hotel, call it apartment complex, right? So you could do this with the 1031 exchange. You could sell each one of these, and whatever the gains were, could all get poured right into here, uh, and that would be, quote, tax-free. Now, technically, it's tax-deferred, because at some point, if you ever ended up selling the, the big red apartment building, if you sold that uh, the normal way and you didn't do a 1031 exchange, uh, there would be the whoosh, recapture of all those taxes. All right, uh, But a lot of people, um, if you want to own an apartment building for the long haul, which you may end up doing, if you want to pull some cash out of there, is you would do what's called a, a refinance. So you could actually pull out some extra cash tax-free. Again, does that make sense? So uh, a couple of things that uh, I've shared here are important to point out. Uh, number one, 
the intent needs to be as a rental property. So if you're flipping properties, which I personally do a lot of, um, if you're flipping properties, this 1031 exchange, just ignore it because it doesn't apply to you. This is for those that are going to own rental property. I'm going to give you some, um, some rules of thumb that can help you get a better understanding of this. All right, here's the first thing, because you're probably thinking, this is almost too good to be true, right? Uh, well, there are a couple of things that you've got to keep in mind. Uh, the first thing is going to be what's called the net selling price. Net selling price. This is a big one. So we're going to go back to our little green uh, house here for a second. So you bought this house for eighty thousand on that example, but you're selling it for a hundred thousand. Okay. Well, the new house or duplex or whatever you're going to buy, the new one you're going to buy, that needs to be at least a hundred thousand, if not more. So you can't take the, and um, I got a lot of markers going here. Remember we had talked about the idea of a $20,000 gain? So that $20,000, you couldn't use that to buy a single family home free and clear for $20,000. No, doesn't work that way. You have to buy something that's at least that size, if not bigger. Now, it doesn't have to be one property. It could be, uh, it could be three properties. Um, if it's more than three properties... Um, then the max you can do is 200% of whatever this was. So if you were going to buy a bunch of single-family home vacant lots, for example, you could buy more than three, but the total amount couldn't go any more than 200000 Sorry if I'm getting a bit confusing there. Again, you can tell there are some rules here. Uh, but let's get back to the net selling price. So it needs to be at least hundred k, if not bigger. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a second. So it means that you're either going to have to get a bigger loan or you're going to have to bring more money because it might be difficult for you to literally start with one house and never bring any more money into the picture ever in the future and just keep 1031-ing money into the next deal. That's a little tricky because of the net selling price. Now, you can get around it if, let's say, the net selling price is 120 but you're getting a loan for, say, $110 um, or, or, one, or 100 you can use your 20 k as your down payment. So again, you can tell there's that's the first little catch. And if you're a bit confused, well, sorry, I got to keep moving. <laughs> so the first is the net selling price, and it's got to be it's got to be at least equal to or greater than. Next is you've got to uh, you've got to identify these properties, uh, and you got 45 days to uh, to do your initial identifying, and then you got 180 days to close. So that's to close. This is to identify. So that means you got to kind of be in the deal flow. So if you sell your property and you're going to do a 1031 exchange, you've got a you've got a short window in which to identify the properties that you're going to buy. So what a lot of people do is they start looking for deals, and when they find something that may fit, they uh, they go ahead and put their other property up for sale. And uh, we'll talk about what's called a reverse 1031 here in a moment. But um, a 45 day identifying period, and then you got 180 days uh, to close. What happens if 180 days go by and you don't close? Well, that money that's sitting in the account of that intermediary, they are going to, that 20 grand, they're going to send it back to you and you're going to have to pay tax on it. So it's not the end of the world. It just, uh, you've, you've got to handle these little details right or you're going to lose your opportunity to do this tax-free stuff. That makes sense? Okay, so you've got to identify. Um, this, is the big, this is probably the biggest kicker of them all. I already mentioned it. And that is your intent and length of ownership. 
intent and length of ownership. Okay, so the purpose here is for you to continue to invest in real estate. And the way the 1031 section of the IRS code defines an investment, although they don't give a specific period, case law would argue that length of ownership needs to be two years to have safe harbor. That's the phrase, safe harbor, that you, you know you're in the clear. Two years. But if it's less than two years, your intent had to have been that you were uh, you were renting it out for investment purposes. So buying, fixing up, and reselling, and then sitting on it for two years doesn't work. Um, less than two years doesn't work. So you've got to have the intent, which the way the intent is argued is because you have tenants in there, and you've been renting the property. Um, now, it's, it's further argued that in most cases... If you're going to buy a property uh, that's for investment, long-term rental income, and then you're going to resell it somewhere down the road, uh, it's probably going to be more than two years anyways. Because, you know, properties typically don't appreciate that much in less than two years. Unless you bought it, completely renovated it, and just redid the management, and you did an amazing job, and you cranked up the rental rates, and so now all of a sudden you have this high-performance uh, asset. But keep things simple. Um, this is for two years or, or more, right? So... Again, this is the long-term wealth building, but it is kind of nice that you can do this tax-free. And this doesn't have to be inside of a IRA or a 401k. This can all be done from your LLC or from your, uh, your, your personally. Now, that brings up this one here. It's got to be the same taxpayer. Um, and that creates a bit of a challenge at times, too. So you wouldn't be buying and selling with a bunch of partners and whatnot. It's going to have to be that if you own the property, and let's say your LLC... That money, when that when that property gets sold and you get that extra twenty thousand, then it goes into this intermediary's escrow account. When you go to buy the new property, it needs to be in your same taxpayer, your same LLC, or if or it's your personal name, your personal name. So, if you want to buy a big property with a whole bunch of different partners, that wouldn't work out. So that's another little catch. You see what I'm saying? So I mean, there's there's a lot of little things that come into this um, that make what what seems to be amazing on the outside you got to cross your T's and dot your I's. So here's the process. What you're going to do is, first you're going to um, get the property that you're selling um, under contract with the new buyer. So you're, you're going to get a contract with buyer. You may want to even let, the, uh, let that buyer know that you'll be doing a 1031 exchange. In some cases, you may want to add that into the language of the contract. Uh, this is when you're going to identify... Um, the intermediary. This is going to be your 1031 exchanger. This typically is a, a, maybe it's a law office. There's a bunch of them out there. Um, you can talk to your title company, ask them who they recommend. So you identify the intermediary. Now the intermediary is then going to, um, they're going to have to approve the HUD, um, the closing statement approval. I mean, they're going to have to look that over. Um, there's an R in there. And uh, they're going to charge a fee, by the way. I mean, maybe it's a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks, two thousand bucks. Uh, maybe you can get as low as five hundred bucks. There's going to be a fee for them to do this. Now, what's going to happen is when this thing closes, um, you know, the money goes into the uh, that money goes into the into the escrow account. So you can't touch that money. It goes into the intermediary's escrow account. Uh, here's a little quick tip. So let's say, for example, you bought the property for eighty thousand dollars all cash. And then you put $10,000 of renovation work into it. So you're in the deal at 90000 
My recommendation to you is this. If you're going to do a 1031 exchange, go ahead and create a mortgage where you are your own borrower. And that way at the closing with the HUD, it'll, it'll show that it's got to do like a 90K payoff back to you. Because remember, this, the 1031 is only for gains. It's only for profit, right? So if you are in the deal at 90000 80 plus your 10 and fix up, technically you don't really necessarily want that money to go into the escrow account because that really wasn't profit. That's not like 1031 profit you're trying to push off. So you can get yourself paid on the closing statement by recording your own uh, mortgage. All right, that's a, that a good little tip right there. And so the money that's in the escrow account we then go into this idea, you've got that identifying period, identify, which, which that's your 45 days. And then your closing, you got to close within, uh, within 180 days, the new property. And that's how it rolls. Okay, so uh, this is pretty cool. What if you, you identify the property you want to buy? Before you got a contract on the home you or the property you want to sell, you can do a reverse 1031 where what, what actually ends up happening is, uh, the, they call it, they call it an EAT, an exchange accommodation, um, title holder. So with the reverse one, the property is going to get purchased first in the name of the EAT. Um, property purchased in EAT, uh, exchange accommodation title holder. Uh, but the problem here is you're going to have to have the cash and the down and the, and the loan and all that stuff to buy it, um, in this. And then, um, and then you can, you can sell your property. And then what they'll do is they'll bring that money over. They'll take this money. They'll take the proceeds uh, on the on the property already purchased. So the the reverse is even more difficult because you really have to have the finances to pull it off. Um, but it can be done, right? And so in either way, I, I hope by watching this video, you're starting to, your mind's turning as to kind of how this could all work for you. Obviously, I'm not giving tax advice. I'm not a, a tax advisor. I'm not a CPA. I'm not a 1031 um, exchange intermediary. Uh, but I do know the, the process extremely well. And so you're going to have to talk to an intermediary to make sure you have everything dialed in. Because I'm sure you could just write all kinds of questions for me down below here. Um, and uh, they could go on for a long time. So I, I encourage you to reach out to an intermediary. Uh, let them answer some more of your questions. Uh, but let's not lose sight. With all those details, let's not lose sight of ultimately the vision here. And the vision and the reason why it's so powerful to utilize the 1031 exchange is because you can take a single rental property and whatever the profit is, that profit can go tax-free to the next property. And then, if you want cash out of here, you could refinance this. Now, sure, when you refinance, it is going to increase your monthly payment, which could reduce your overall cash flow in the next property, potentially, depending on the interest rates and whatnot. But, um, so, but you can pull cash out, and then you can go do this again. 
I'm going to do another 1031 into a bigger property. So this is long-term wealth building at its best, but you might as well take advantage of this if you're going to be owning a rental property. If you already own rental property, you definitely need to look into this as an idea. Now, if your rental property is already cash flowing very well, don't just go sell it so you can go do this, right? I mean, if it's doing well, then keep it. But you may have certain rental properties that you would rather sell, and that way you could parlay that into the next bigger deal, into the next bigger deal. And we, we talked about some of the drawbacks. You've got to have some deal flow going. Start looking for these deals. That way you don't get desperate to avoid the, the, the tax ramifications of having to pay tax on the profit and you end up paying too much for a property. So you got to keep that in mind as well. But when you get all these cogs and whistles dialed in just right, hey, the savings alone, depending on what your tax bracket is, can be enormous when you don't have to pay taxes on the profits of a property you sell that you've owned for a while.